Shalom and welcome to the Jewish mind where the growth of modernity meets timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. This lecture demands many introductions. According to our sages, the last day of Passover isn't just about the exodus from Egypt that happened in the past. Rather, it is about the exodus of the exile with Mashiach bringing us into the time to come. This can be seen in the Haftorah reading of the last day of Passover, Isaiah's prophecy about Mashiach and the time to come, including the famous prophecy of, and the wolf shall lie with the lamb. In understanding who Mashiach needs to be and what changes he must bring into the world, we will have to first engage in many Kabbalistic concepts which is what I mean when I speak of this lecture being built upon many introductions. However, I ask of you not to shy away because of this, for as always, with these lectures, everything will be explained in layman terms and through digestible concepts. Before I begin with the mystical introduction, I want to begin with a personal and practical introduction. It is my goal to always be able to bring these mystical teachings of the Rebbe of blessed memory into our practical day-to-day -day life. This is why you will find a flavor of psychology in my lectures. I base my approach to this practical and psychological interpretation and implication of the Rebbe's teachings upon the mystical explanation to the verse, From my flesh do I see God. Our sages say that the way the soul fills the body, so too does, the, does God fill the world. The verse states that God said, Let us make man in our image and likeness, which means that the human being is a reflection of all the spiritual layers and interactions. Based upon these teachings, I believe that everything we learn about how to have a relationship with God also guides us into how to have a relationship with ourselves and how to have a relationship with others. This is how, to me, a very, a very mystical teaching upon the qualities, job, and effects that Mashiach must be, do, and bring about becomes a lecture titled Respect versus Intimacy with a subtitle of Understanding Two Fundaments of a relationship. However, on the other hand, I am absolutely committed to remain faithful to the original mystical teaching of Hasidus and its, and its exploration of God and of our relationship with God. This is why I first clarify and explore the mysti spiritual mystical side of the teaching as it is, and then I extrapolate its human and psychological dimension, lesson, and practical implication. With that said, let's get mystical. According to the mystical teachings upon Isaiah's prophecy that we read on the last day of Passover, Mashiach is going to be both a king and a teacher. Therefore, our first introduction will be about the Kabbalistic and Hasidic definition of the difference between the king's relationship with his subjects and of a teacher's relationship with his student. The differences 
distance or closeness. Everything about a king and his relationship with his subjects is based upon distance, which creates awe and fear. In the physical description of the first anointed king of the Jewish people, the verse describes King Saul as being a head taller than everyone else. The exact wording of the verse is that King Saul was from the shoulders and above. Kabbalah and Hasidus define this as the following. The shoulders represent the emotions of the intellect and the head represents the intellects of the intellect. Thus, what the verse is telling us is that King Saul's lower capacity of emotions was higher than even the capacity of the higher pure intellects of everyone else. The outcome of this is that a king is truly separated and distant from his subjects. Additionally, Everything in the Torah that governs the laws of a king is focused on the king remaining distant and creating fear and awe upon his subjects. As the law commands us, and he, the king, and he, you shall fear. This is why everything that the king does and involves himself in with the subjects is all about decree and not by explanation. So too, the subjects must obey the king, with the focus being on the submissiveness of obeying. A teacher's relationship with his student is the opposite. The teacher must first put aside who he, the teacher, is by putting aside his own intellectual capacity and instead to understand his student's capacity. Everything that will then take place in the interaction between the teacher and the student is based upon the teacher embracing the student's capacity and catering to the student on the student's level. Additionally, the entire relationship of a student and the teacher is based upon the student understanding what the teacher is teaching him. Otherwise, the teacher isn't this student's teacher and the student isn't this teacher's student. Mashiach is going to have to be both to the Jewish people. Mashiach is going to have to be an all-creating king, and he's going to have to be an embracing teacher to each of us. Let us get a bit more mystical. In understanding why Mashiach needs to be both a king and a teacher, we will need to understand what Mashiach must spiritually accomplish. The primary job of Mashiach is to bring divinity into this world. Everything else, the world peace between nations, the peace between the wolf and the lamb, and the physical abundance of health and wealth are all the symptoms and the side effects of bringing divinity into this world. Thus, the primary verse that Maimonides uses to explain the mission of Mashiach and the time to come is, and I quote the verse, And the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the water covers the seabed. And as they say, the rest is commentary. Thus, our next introduction is to understand the two different divine lights that Mashiach must bring to us and to the world, of which 
one divine light Mashiach will bring to us as a king provides for his subjects and the other divine light Mashiach will bring to us as a teacher teaches his students. So let's look into the two divine lights. We will approach these two divine lights by understanding the symptoms effect on them. So firstly, what is symptom? Symptom simply means contraction. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, symptom is the original Big Bang that started the process of creation. In the words of Kabbalah, and I quote, At first he, God, and his name, the light, blessed be he, filled all. Then he created a contraction, which created a place of void from the divine light, after which he brought into the void a measured ray of light. So there you go, the teaching of the Kabbalah, of what a tzimtzum is. So let's understand this simply and practically. At first, God and his infinite light filled all. However, a finite world cannot be created if everywhere is filled with an infinite light. Therefore, God made a contraction upon his infinite light, which created a place of void from the infinite light. Now, within this place of void, God introduced a measured finite light from which the finite world is created. According to Kabbalah and Hasidus, this contraction is all hidden and hinted in the letter Bet of Bereshit, which is the first letter of the Torah and the first letter of the Genesis of creation. So now we know the mission of Mashiach is to A. Reintroduce the pre-symptom light into the post-symptom world and B. To make the symptom profitable, we cannot just return to as it was pre-symptom. Rather, we must achieve an even greater light than the pre-symptom light. We will fully explore this second accomplishment further on as well. The symptom process, as we just explained it to be a simple process of demolition and clearing of the site for future constru construction, seems to be easy and simple to understand. However, the symptom isn't one-dimensional. You see, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the infinite light is primarily described as having three levels. There is the A, essence of the light, and there are two layers of the expression of the light, which are B, the infinite light, and C, the finite light. Now, when we say the expression of the light, we mean that the way the essence of light shines. There is the way the essence of the light shines as an infinite light, and there is the way the essence of the light shines as a finite light. So now we know that the light, which filled all before the symptom, has actually three layers. The essence of the light, and the infinite expression of the light, and the finite expression of the light. What Simpson had to accomplish in creating a clearance, a place of void in which to be able to create and construct a finite world, was to change the expression of the light. The expression and revelation, the expression and the revelation 
infinite would make it impossible to have a finite universe that would be able to hold on to its finite identity without either shattering or becoming infinite itself. This is why the Tsimtsum had to accomplish two effects on the expression of light. One effect was to reverse the shine of the infinite expression of light to shine inwardly rather than outwardly. See it kind of like a sign in the road saying stop, make a U-turn, you cannot proceed further on this road. The second effect was that Simpson had to transform the finite expression of light into a finite light from which can be created a finite universe and from which a finite universe can be sustained. Now you may ask, why transform the finite light if it already is finite? The answer lay in what we learned in mathematics when we learned about fractions. The defining number of a fraction is the denominator, the bottom number. For example, the fraction 1 8, 1 over 8, tells me that the 1 is one piece of an eight. What that means to us that is that when we speak of the finite expression light of the essence infinite light we are saying that we have a finite piece of an infinite light. A finite piece of infinite is infinite. At least it is so from the perspective of trying to build a finite world with each piece of that world being a finite piece of a finite universe. Thus, the Tsimtsum has to truly trans transform the finite expression of the essence infinite light to be a single ray of a finite light from which a true finite world can be created and sustained. Understanding this two-pronged process of Tsimtsum helps us understand the two-pronged mission of Mashiach in his taking the post-Simpson world into the pre-Simpson revelation and unity. This two-pronged mission of Mashiach demands the two-pronged personality of Mashiach. In Mashiach must serve as both a a king and b a teacher. Let us continue to understand each personality of Mashiach, what each personality accomplishes and how they each accomplish it. Tsimtsum's effect on the infinite expression of light is that the infinite light is hidden, that it cannot be revealed or digested within creation. This is what created within the universe a circular encompassing infinite light. Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, explains that one should not view this as a space issue that the encompassing circular infinite light does not enter into the construction site of the universe called the place of void, but rather only circles and encompasses it. No, rather, what the way we should see this is, that it means that the circular encompassing infinite light exists within the universe, only it exists in an elusive way that denies it from being perceived by us and from being internalized and digested within us. On the other hand, Simpson's effect on the finite expression of light is the exact opposite. 
it is to create a linear permeating finite light that precisely can be perceived by us and which can be internalized and digested by us. So now you finally know where that circular encompassing infinite light and the linear permeating finite light comes from. It comes from the two-pronged symptom and its effect on the infinite expression of light and the finite expression of light. Practically speaking, Maimonides explains that one nurtures within himself a love for God by studying Torah and by studying science. The reason for this is that the way we get to know God is through studying God's works, which are God's creation, science, and God's Torah, Torah study. In creation, the impact of the two different expressions of divine lights are nature, which is the finite logical and perceivable light, and miracles, which is the infinite, illogical, and unperceivable light. However, in the Torah, we are not just studying the impact of the two different expressions of divine light. Rather, God actually hid these two expressions of divine light themselves within the Torah. This is the Kabbalistic and Hasidic understanding of what we call Or HaTorah, light of the Torah. It is not only symbolically meant that we are enlightened through the Torah, but it actually means the divine light within the Torah, which we now know to actually mean two divine lights of the Torah, the infinite light and the finite light. Note, just want to tell you in parentheses, note, it actually means all three divine lights that we spoke about earlier, the essence of the divine light and the two expressions of divine lights, the infinite and the finite. As a matter of fact, it also means the Ma'or, the source of the light, the He, which is the essence of God Himself. But I am getting ahead of myself. Let's get back. When we speak of bringing the divine lights into the world, we are talking primarily of truly understanding and digesting all the secrets of the Torah. This is what I mentioned to you before that Maimonides sees the primary experience of the time to come as and the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the water covers the seabed. Maimonides even goes on to state that our sages did not, that did not pray for Mashiach to come so that they may have wealth. Rather, all of the wealth and health that will be ours in the times of Mashiach is there just in order to grant us peace of mind for us to be able to study the Torah undisturbed. Maimonides goes on to explicitly state that the sages prayed for Mashiach solely so that all the hidden secrets of the Torah be revealed to them, which we now understand to mean as that the divine lights be revealed, perceived and internalized within them. This oneness of knowing and being with God is what creation truly yearns for in our praying for Mashiach. And once again, as they say, and the rest is all commentary. Thus, 
Mashiach being a king and a teacher primarily refers to how Mashiach is going to bring to us the two divine lights within the Torah. The lower linear, linear permeating finite light within the Torah is the perceivable intellectual dimension of the Torah. Nevertheless, even the understanding of our greatest sages such as Rabbi Akiva and even of Moses himself was lacking. Pray tell, even Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who are now for over 3,000 years in the Garden of Eden studying and enjoying the spiritual dimensions of the Torah will leave the Garden of Eden to resurrect down here below in order to study Torah from the mouth of Mashiach. This is because Mashiach will, will reveal to us the unprecedented understandings of even the lower linear permeating finite light within the Torah. This part of Mashiach's mission is where Mashiach will be our teacher. Mashiach will also bring to us the higher circular encompassing infinite light within the Torah. Only that digesting the higher circular encompassing infinite light which cannot be through closeness through the closeness and through the spoon-feeding of a teacher to a student. Rather, the transmission of the higher circular encompassing infinite light of the Torah must be through the, the distance of a king, in which the subject completely gets out of the way and opens himself up through total submissiveness to the king and to the king's being, from the shoulders and above. Practically speaking, when we are only open to that which we can understand and appreciate, we are making the relationship between us and God as small as we are. However, when we are humble and open enough to completely submissive with total faith to live by and to behave upon what we don't understand and appreciate just because God told us to do so, then we are allowing for our relationship with God to be as big as God is rather than the relationship being as confined to and as small as we are. This humbleness and submissiveness is not only concerning doing the commandments that we, uh, that we do not understand why we should be doing them. Rather, even within the realm of intellect, Torah study, we are asked to intellectually accept truisms that we do not fully understand. However, by doing this, we enter into an intellectual realm of truism that is beyond our present intellectual capacity. This is how we intellectually digest the higher circular encompassing infinite light in which King Mashiach, Mashiach as a king, from the distance of being from the shoulders and above from all his subjects, decrees upon us truisms of the higher circular encompassing infinite light for us to digest. Let us understand this a bit better. Within Torah itself, there is studying Torah and there is prophesying of the Torah. For example, 
They were studying and understanding the commandments and the detailed laws of what Moses taught us in the book of Leviticus. And then there is what Samuel told us that God told him that this is precisely what King Saul should do, etc. The great Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Arizal and as the Ariha Kadosh, after having a spiritual vision, told his students that it would take him years to teach them the Torah revelation that he just saw. This is why in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus, we speak of hearing what the Torah is saying and of seeing what the Torah is saying. Not to get all technical right now, for this is not the place, but in general, this is the difference between the intellect of understanding in which we intellectually hear and the, intellectual and the intellect of wisdom in which we intellectually see. The greater heights of seeing is to have the prophecy experience in which we see a vision of Torah. Seemingly, we can now say that the teacher-student transmission of the lower linear permeating finite light is through the hearing and the king's subject transmission of the higher circular encompassing infinite light is through the seeing however it is not truly so return please to the mathematical law of fractions in the final analysis prophecy is part of the Torah teaching us that's the bottom denominator and while it is the seeing heights of the intellect of wisdom, it is precisely that, of the intellectual heights of the perception of wisdom. Thus, in the final analysis, prophecy is still part of the lower linear permeating finite light of the Torah, which then makes it part of Mashiach's teacher personality and Mashiach's teaching mission. This teaching, my friends, is driving itself into being totally perceived, understood, and digested within us. So, it is going to explain itself now from a different angle. A most practical way to see the difference of truism from the perspective of the higher circular encompassing infinite light or from the lower linear permeating finite light is to simply question which reality is perceived as the tangible reality and which reality is perceived as the abstract reality. From the higher circular encompassing infinite light, God is the practical tangible reality, while the world's existence is the novelty of an abstract reality while to the lower linear permeating finite light, the world's existence is perceived as the practical tangible reality, and God's existence is perceived as the novelty of an abstract reality. With understanding this, allow me now to explain to you a simple custom and direction of the Rebbe. When someone would write to the Rebbe that he or she was experiencing hardships, whether it be with their health or financial, the Rebbe would most often also direct the person to check their mezuzot of their doorpost to see if they were kosher or whether they were not kosher.
many rabbis complained against this practice, accusing the Rebbe of turning a commandment into some type of magical cure. However, let us see the difference of perception of the Rebbe and of those who are attacking this practice. Our sages say that the name of God that is on the outside of the mezuzah is the name Shin Dalid Yud. It's in English S-H-A-D-D-A-I. I don't want to pronounce it because it's God's name. Now, the Shin Dalid Yud, the three letters of the name of God on the mezuzah, we are taught, stands as an acronym to three words. Shomer Dalte Israel, guardian of the Jewish doorway. Ah, so therefore, to the Rebbe that perceives God and the Torah as the practical, tangible reality, the first question that comes to the Rebbe's mind is, how did the enemy of suffering and hardship get into this Jewish home? We must check if the guardian that God gave us is not indeed a guardian because it is not a kosher mezuzah. With this, the Rebbe then gave his directive to either practically seek the advice of professional friend doctors or seek the advice of professional friends in the particular field. Now, to someone who perceives God and the Torah as a true reality, but as an abstract true reality, he sees the commandment of and you shall write them on the doorpost of your home and your gateways as a totally unrelated novelty commandment of God, not to be confused with the practical, tangible reality of life. More so, they are attacking the Rebbe's point of view that seeing the mezuzah as the practical Shomer Dalte Yisrael, guardian of the Jewish doorway, is to desecrate the holy abstractness of the Torah. So the Rebbe is coming from the paradigm of seeing God's existence and the Torah's existence as the practical, tangible reality. And the Rebbe treats it as such in advising how to overcome hardships. The other rabbis are seeing Torah, God, and the commandments as an abstract true reality. True, but abstract. And therefore, they see bringing the mitzvah of mezuzah into an, a practical, tangible guidance for the hardships of life as a desecration to that holiness, abstraction of the Torah. Okay, let us now return to our conversation. To us, the level of the Torah that we can perceive as the tangible reality is the teacher-student transmission of the lower lineator permeating finite light and the level of the Torah which is perceived by us only as an abstract reality is the king's subject transmission of the highest circular encompassing infinite light thus for us now the fact that the prophet experiences his vision as a practical tangible reality tells us that compared to what Mashiach much accomplished as a king Prophecy is still part of experiencing the lower, lineator, permeating, finite light of the Torah. Okay, so what we, what we will need to explore 
is that if we already had prophets, including the ultimate prophet Moses, before Mashiach comes, then why do we need Mashiach to be a teacher when we already have this perception to its fullest, even to the level of seeing a prophecy? Rather, we should only need Mashiach as a king to bring us the higher, circular, encompassing, infinite light of the Torah. To understand this, we will need two more introductions. A. First introduction. We, here and now, in the darkness of exile, are planting everything that Mashiach will harvest for us. We're doing it now. B. The second introduction we still need to make is what is the human faculty of Netzach? Literally means victory, also seen as endurance. What is this human faculty of Netzach all about? And why is that faculty the primary human faculty needed in our dark times of exile? Along the way of these two introductions, we will also uncover the divine secret of exile, spiritual concealment, and suffering. Let us begin now be by reintroducing what I said before, that the Tzimtzum must be a profitable investment. The Talmud says that a person does not plan one, plant one kav, which is a measurement, a kav of seeds in order to harvest only one kav of produce. An investment is not made in order to only regain back the original investment. So much so that the Talmud discusses what the prophets, uh, prophets of God sending us into exile is. For were there no prophets to be gained, just a regain of the spiritual loss through our sins during the times of the Holy Temple, then exile would be a failed investment for God. Investments beget profits. So too, if the Tzimtzum investment is only in order to later reintroduce the pre-Tzimtzum divine lights, then the Tzimtzum is ultimately a failed investment for God. Thus, we must say, that at the times of harvesting the returns of the Tzimtzum, which is the time to come that Mashiach will bring to the, the universe, there is a divine prophet that didn't even exist in the pre-Tzimtzum time. We must profit from the Tzimtzum. Therefore, we must say that there is a divine prophet that didn't even exist in the pre-Tzimtzum time. However, for us, it will be easier to set our exploration on the difference of pre-exile and the times of exile than it would be to explore the times of the pre-Simpsom and the times of the post-Simpsom. So let's explore what the prophets of exile is compared to what was pre-exile. In the times of the Holy Temple, the spiritual revelation was high. During the first temple, there were prophets. The level of Torah knowledge was superior, and God's presence was felt and seen openly through the daily miracles that took place there. For example, the altar was outside in the courtyard on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, 
with winds frequently blowing. Nevertheless, the pillar of smoke that ascended from the altar was never blown to a side and always descend ascended in a direct upward pillar. Seeing this daily miracle in the holy temple was to see the presence of God. The verse states that three times a year, during the three primary biblical holidays of Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, all males must appear to be seen at the holy temple. This was the pilgrimage that the Jewish people had to do three times a year to the holy temple. Now our sages teach us, just as they were seen by God, so do did they see God's presence. Thus, what do we see from all of this? The primary state of the Jewish people in the relationship with God at the times of the Holy Temple was that they saw and perceived the lower lineator permeating finite light. After the destruction of the Holy Temple, when the Jewish people were taken into exile, there were hardly any prophets amongst the Jewish people and the understanding of Torah lessened greatly. Rather, in the place of the primary service and relationship of the Jewish people with God through seeing and perceiving the Torah, now, in the times of exile, dire darkness and suffering, the primary service and relationship of the Jewish people with God is through self-sacrifice in order to study Torah and to observe the commandments. Sometimes, this is the self-sacrifice of ignoring the scoffers who taunt us and ridicule us for our observances. And sometimes it is with the ultimate self-sacrifice to die as a Jew rather than to be forcefully converted to another faith. What is the supernal reason for this shift from serving God primarily through the higher faculties of wisdom and understanding in the times of the Holy Temple to serving God primarily through self-sacrifice in the times of exile. What is the spiritual reason for this shift? The answer lay in a unique faculty of the soul called Midat Hanetzach, which is a reflection of the supernal emanation of Netzach. The soul's higher faculties of intellects and emotions are affected by the spiritual concealment and darkness of exile. However, concerning the soul's faculty of Netzach, not only is it not weakened, rather it is brought out of being hidden in the soul to its revelation and actual function through the darkness and the spiritual concealment of exile. If you want to see this in its simplest form, you can reflect upon that one of the surest ways to have a Jew study Torah or circumcise his son is by having the government prohibit him from doing so under the threat of persecution. All of a sudden, the Jew will study Torah and will find a way to secretly circumcise his son. It is a fact that so many Jews who completely endangered themselves to be religious and dedicated their lives to keeping the torch of Judaism alive under the persecution of the Stalin regime in Russia, who when they moved to the freedom of America or Israel gave up their spiritual commitment and they succumbed to the pursuit of happiness of the American dream. 
What changed? Should it not be the exact opposite now that they are free to pursue Judaism and Torah study? The answer is that under the persecution and darkness, the faculty of Netzach was revealed and activated, while this very same faculty of Netzach slipped back into dormancy with religious freedom. The reason why the soul's faculty of Netzach is not weakened by the exile, while the higher faculties of intellects and emotions are affected by the darkness of exile, is because the faculty of Netzach is connected to the inner essence of the soul, untouchable, while the other faculties of intellect and emotions are connected only to the external dimension of the soul's crown. So, let us decipher this faculty of Netzach into layman terms. Many contemporary teachers of Kabbalah and Hasidus define this faculty of the soul as endurance, in that it is the soul's faculty of overcoming struggles and obstacles. However, in truth, Netzach is far deeper than just endurance. The word Netzach is literally translated as victory and can be seen in that trigger that goes off in a person when he is challenged in being himself, in accomplishing his goals, or in achieving his desire. The trigger is usually articulated as, now it's a matter of principle. The power and the danger in this mindset of, now it is a matter of principle, is that the person has just declared that he has left the logical realms of liabilities versus debits and of all forms of losses versus all forms of gains. Think, friends, think of the trillions of dollars that are wasted on lawsuits, divorce courts, and business deals that were all driven by the blind rage of, now this is a matter of principle. Go back in history and think of all the illogical wars between kings that were driven by the blind rage of the faculty of Netzach. And think of how many lives have been uselessly wasted in personal fights between people blinded by the rage of Netzach. On the other hand, let's look at the positive side. Look at the greatest masterpiece of Judaism, the Talmud, which was formulated and created in the darkest times of persecution, thanks to the rage of Netzach. Look at the amount of Jewish achievements in all areas of secular professions, precisely when it was forbidden for Jewish people to attend universities, medical schools, or participate in open trade. All of these accomplishments were not fundamentally driven by intellect or emotions. Rather, they were intellect and emotions driven by the infinite drive of the Jewish people's faculty of Netzach. You know, recently there was a film based upon a true story released called The Revenant. Were you to pay the frontiersman Uglass all the money in the world, he would not have been able to have chosen to live through all that he did and to overcome all the inhumane challenges that he had to overcome in order to stay alive. 
The point here is precisely that he did not choose to stay alive as much as he was driven by the vision and a commitment to push forward and to overcome all that needs to be overcome as long as he was still breathing. This true story upon which the film was based is a perfect vision into the infinite powers of the soul's faculty of Netzach. No human intellect or emotion could have sustained such endurance. What exile offers us is to connect with our soul's infinite essence power of Netzach. This is where exile becomes profitable, for only the descent of exile can bring forth the revelation of Netzach, and only exile's darkness and suffering can activate Netzach to drive us above and beyond human potential. In Judaism, this means that it is precisely the darkness and suffering of exile in which seeing God is taken away and perceiving God's Torah is weakened to its palest level that the Jew's total essence self-sacrifice relationship with God is actualized and experienced. This is what our sages explain, that all the great accomplishments that Mashiach will bring to the world are accomplished only through our service to God here and now in exile. We in exile are the ones who are truly bringing about the transformation of the universe into the state of the time to come. What Mashiach will do is to lift the curtain and turn on the light so that we can see, experience and harvest all that we have accomplished through the years of our long and bitter exile. It is precisely through our Netzach essence connection with God beyond all rational and logic that brings the higher circular encompassing infinite light into the practical tangible reality to be ever so simply digested and internalized by us who have lived this self-sacrifice essence for God throughout the dark and suffering exile. Let us then ask the question again. If from Moses throughout the time of the Holy Temple we have already experienced the heights of seeing and perceiving God, then why do we need Mashiach's teacher personality? What we have not had without Mashiach and what we need Mashiach for is for his king personality to bring us the revelation of the higher circular encompassing infinite light and the revelation of the essence with which we have blindly connected with through our Netzach self-sacrifice in the darkness of exile. However, seemingly, we don't need Mashiach to be our teacher for the lower linear permeate finite light. That we already have. We had it in the times of the Holy Temple. I told you that it would be easier for us to explore the difference between the pre-exile times and the exile times than it would be to explore the pre-Simpsom times and the post-Simpsom times. However, my friends, now we will have to explore the difference between the pre-Simpsom times and the post-Simpsom times. So here goes. Let us first understand the depths of God's desire in creating the universe. 
Hasidus defines God's desire in creating the universe as, and I quote, Lasot lo to make for himself, blessed be he, a dwelling place below. What this means is that God did not just want to be accepted and to dwell amongst his superior spiritual realms. Rather, God wanted to be accepted and to dwell precisely amongst the nether physical realm. More so, the word dwelling, unlike a hotel, emphasizes that God wanted not only to be able to shine his divine lights into the nether physical realm, rather he wanted to live within, to have his essence dwell within, his home of choice, the nether physical world. It gets even deeper than this. To play off a quote from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, God wanting his, wanted his dwelling to be of the nether, by the nether, for the nether. God doesn't desire his bullying the nether into accepting him, nor does God want to have to impose himself forcefully upon the nether. This is why God went through all of the Tzimtzum process, creating a nether physical darkness where total atheism can exist in which even accepting the truism as an abstract reality that God exists is a total freedom of choice. Thus, it is truly so now that the nether physical realm, if it is to become a dwelling place for the essence of God, it will not be through the imposition of a spiritual divine light. Rather, the nether physical world will be a dwelling place for the essence of God solely from its own volition inside out. The nether physical world is to be transformed into a dwelling place for the essence of God made of the nether, by the nether, for the nether. This, and only this, is the fulfillment of God's desire in creating the universe. Mashiach's job, as it brings the universe into its destiny of the time to come, is to bring about this fulfillment of God's desire for creating the universe. This then leads us to a fundamental question that the revelation of divine light and the creation of the universe are polar opposites, which is exactly why we needed the Timson process to take away the revelation of the divine light in order to even create the universe. So the question is, how can the lowest nether physical realm of the universe be exactly where the greatest revelation is to take place? Before the Tzimtzum, when He, God, and His name, the Light, filled all, the Light was of the infinite kind that could impose itself upon anything, even upon the deepest of darkness. This is why we needed the Tzimtzum process. As a matter of fact, it is precisely in the process of the Tzimtzum that the prophet of the descent, the Tzimtzum, is embedded. The entire purpose of the descent is for the ascent, that is to come forth from it. This purpose of the ascent is the very DNA of the descent which means that within the DNA of the Tzimtzum, the descent, 
is that the Tzimtzum and within the DNA of all the creations brought about through the Tzimtzum process is the purpose of the ascent, which is that the revelation of the divine light and of the essence be within the universe. Thus, what the Tzimtzum made possible, which is the profit of the Tzimtzum investment, is that precisely in the post-Tzimtzum creations, there be a dwelling place for the essence of God, of the nether, by the nether, for the nether, because within the DNA of the nether is the sole purpose of the ascent and revelation and dwelling place for the essence of God. Pre-Tzimtzum, the revelation of divine lights and creations were polar opposites. However, the Tzimtzum embedded within the DNA of creation that its very existence is for the revelation of God. Now, we can also appreciate why we need Mashiach's teacher personality and not just the Mashiach's king personality. From the times of Moses throughout the times of the Holy Temple, before the exile investment, all that we saw and perceived of the linear permeating finite light was not of the nether, by the nether, for the nether. Rather, the soul was imposing itself upon the body and the human heart and mind. The profit of exile is that its very existence of being for the sake of the revelation of divine light is embedded within the exile. Therefore, only after the exile, when Mashiach comes, studying Torah, perceiving Torah, and seeing Torah, will not be the soul imposing itself upon the body. Rather, it will be a revelation of the body, by the body, for the body. This is precisely why Isaiah says concerning the time to come, and I quote the verse, chapter 40, verse 5 of Isaiah. And all flesh together shall see that the mouth of the Lord speaks. With the emphasis, emphasis being not that the soul, but that the very flesh shall see. Very interesting. He doesn't say, and all the people will see. He says specifically, Vera'ukal basar, the flesh. Because what Mashiach is doing for us, even as a teacher, is that that which we become the home for the studying of Torah, the understanding of Torah, and the seeing of Torah, is all about of the body, by the body, for the body, and all flesh shall see that the mouth of the Lord spoke. This is only possible because the exile has embedded within the DNA of us that everything we went through is solely for the sake of being a dwelling place and have the revelation of God's essence within us and within our world. That's why now not only the soul imposes upon our mind to understand the spiritual light of Torah, but our very flesh on its own, of its own, inside out, will see that the mouth of the Lord spoke the words of the Torah. What we now understand from all of this is 
that Mashiach will be both a teacher and a king. Mashiach the teacher will bring us the lower linear permeating finite light of perception and seeing that it be one with us coming from, by and for the body. Mashiach as a king will bring us the revelation of the higher circular encompassing infinite light, the essence of the light and the essence of God into the dwelling place here in the nether physical world that we, the physical, have made for God. Okay, that was the mystical part of the lecture. In closing, there are two practical lessons that we learn from all of this for our day-to-day -day life. The first practical lesson is that not only are hard times here for us to grow, as the saying is, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. It is far greater than that. The very DNA of all hard times are all about us being far better, far higher, and far closer to God. It's not only the outcome of hard times, it's in the very DNA of the hard times and what the hard times do to us. Now, the second practical lesson for our day-to-day -day lives is what really astonishes me. It speaks to our human relationships. Mashiach, the, sp the king, speaks to an innate fundamental aspect of our human psyche which is the regality of having a distance through defined borders in all our relationships, which creates the respect element in our relationships. Mashiach, the teacher, speaks to an innate fundamental aspect of our human psyche, which is the closeness in a relationship, which creates the element of intimacy in a relationship. Most often, sadly, in our generation, we are so lonely and so starving for love and intimacy that we do not develop or cultivate the kingship faculty of our soul. Truth be said, we most often shamelessly desecrate our kingship faculty in our relationship in our desperate starvation for love and intimacy. And with this, we lose our regality aspect and our respect element in our relationships. Later on, as the relationship matures, we suffer greatly from this lack of respect, which often leads to the demise of the relationship. One of the things that we learn from this lecture is the importance of cultivating our soul's kingship faculty and to create a respectful distance even in our most intimate relationships. Yes, there is a price to pay for this in curbing our need for intimacy. However, this kingship distance of boundaries creates and nurtures the respect in a relationship, which ultimately is what saves the relationship and makes the relationship sustainable. Friends, Modernity offers growth, and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.